and welcome to episode 37 and the official third birthday of TechSwamp. We have our host and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Hello, Caitlin. What is up? You know, just membership birthday chillin'. <laughs> birthday chillin'. <laughs> uh, and of course, myself, Alex. Um, so this month, we're going to be talking all things new in D.C. on and off the Hill in 2021 with Senior Director of Public Policy, Graham Tufault. Uh, we'll talk through the priorities of the new Congress and the Biden administration, um, as well as the cabinet nomination process, what to expect moving forward, um, all of those great things. But first, before we get into that, we're going to hit tech history and run through some D.C. headlines. January 21st, 2000, 21 years ago today, Twitter.com was born. Kind of. <clears throat> While it's not the website we know and use today, the domain was registered over two decades ago. This domain actually is responsible for the first ever rebrand of the popular website and app. Originally, founder Jack Dorsey and crew wanted to call their venture Twitter, aka Twitter, sans vowels. Uh, and they were inspired by Flickr, a once popular image and hosting website. Dorsey and team changed directions when they found the domain twitter.com already existed with vowels uh, and quickly purchased that domain, but it wasn't until 2006 that the Twitter we all know came to be. And that's all for Tech History. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in DC. Caitlin and Brad, what are the top tech headlines? So we're kicking off What's Brewing with a little bit of a TLDR. We're all unfortunately aware of the insurrection that took place earlier this month in our nation's capital. The events that unfolded that day are still very much relevant when it comes to what's brewing in D.C. The insurrection and the impeachment trial that's followed has impacted the day-to-day -day business of Congress, as well as, as well as those who work with the House and Senate. We'll discuss the specifics with Graham later on in the pod, but we can say with certainty that what's brewing in D.C. is a mix of legislation, politics as usual, and a unified path forward to heal. Speaking of Congress, we have another bill to talk about. Last episode, we highlighted the final 2020 omnibus spending deal, which has changed further from our mention in the last pod, didn't pass, got a deadline extension, finally passed, and was signed into law. But as you will learn throughout this episode, new Congress who dis is a very real sentiment. We'll discuss the ins and outs with Graham later on in the pod, but we're already seeing pushback on the $1.9 trillion spending bill. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has indicated the House can pass the package, but the calls to roadblock aren't coming from inside the House. They're coming from the Senate. On top of concerns over direct payments from Senators King and Manchin, the filibuster rule in the Senate is still in place, leaving room for Senate Republicans to derail the process. Dems still have the option to tap into budget reconciliation, which means they would no longer need 60 votes to pass, but would only need 51. It's unclear what the path forward will be, but we'll keep you posted in future episodes of TechSwamp. And this week, in the new administration, it's very similar to last week, with the look and feel of more executive orders. President Biden has signed, or has at least planned to sign, several executive orders this week, each around a different policy priority. What's on the docket for this week? Monday was Made in America Day, Tuesday was Equity Day, Wednesday will be Climate Day, Thursday is Healthcare Day, and Friday is Immigration Day. For a full breakdown of what these orders have set out to do, head to our show notes. 
And we're rounding out what's brewing with a brief impeachment update. Earlier this week, the House of Representatives formally sent the articles of impeachment of former President Trump to the United States Senate. Leaders of the Senate have agreed to focus on the Biden administration's cabinet nominations until February 8th, 2021, when they plan to take up the hearing process. Supreme Court Justice Roberts has declined to preside over Trump's second impeachment trial, leaving Senator Patrick Leahy to oversee the proceeding. We'll keep you posted in future episodes of TechSwap. And that's all for What's Brewing. As we mentioned earlier, we're sitting down with OG friend of the pod and senior director for public policy, Graham Dufault, for a what to expect when you're expecting legislation convo uh, on all the new and moving parts here in D.C. Hey, Graham, thank you for joining us. (laughs) Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, well, we're always thrilled to have you, uh, as we mentioned, OG friend of the pod. Um, so, um, so back in what's brewing, we gave sort of a brief update on the Capitol insurrection, but I wanted to give some time for us to talk about it here before we move on. Cause it really did have an effect on business as usual in DC. So can you talk about how, what happened on that Wednesday, uh, for lack of a better term, derailed the workflow of the Hill and DC at large? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think people are probably wondering how uh, folks in in the in the district and around the district are reacting to to what happened. And um, you know, for for a lot of us and a lot of the people that I, that um, you know I work with on the hill and off the hill, uh, were um, you know, if even if they they don't currently work on the hill for a member of Congress or for a senator, uh, a lot of them used to work there. And uh, for a lot of us, it was really hard to watch. It, I yeah. think a lot of us were just crestfallen watching um, the events unfold as they did. You know, the, um, the some of the some of the office buildings are not so heavily secured, right? Like they're supposed yeah. to be they're supposed to be office buildings for the people where people are allowed to kind of walk around, and you do end up with some kind of weird characters that hang around, but the moment they become threatening they're out you know if if you're a threaten if you're a threat to somebody's safety you get kicked out pretty quickly and capitol police has always been really serious about that but when it comes to actually going to the capitol you know even as staff who work in those office buildings there's a lot of security for that you have to go with your memory you have to um, have your id with you uh to, to go if if you're a staffer um and if you want to go on the house floor Usually there's special circumstances that allow you to do that. You need to pass. Uh, same is true for the Senate floor. Uh, so to to watch a, a big crowd of people that is clearly intent on property destruction and violence and, and harming, you know, uh, and, and harming people, uh, that was felt like a, a major violation for a lot yeah. of people. So there was a visceral reaction that a lot of us had. Mm-hmm. Um, and the safety of the staff that I work with all the time um, was one of the first things that I thought of. And, um, because, you know, January 6th and then January 7th, you know, that first week coming back, there's a lot of stuff that has to, that is supposed to get done. Uh, and so when you have like this long laundry list and this long list of people that you have to contact, um, and the first concern is, are they actually safe? (laughs) Did they make it, make it out unscathed? And were they, um, you know, uh, uh, or were they harmed, you know, that that tends to um, cause things to slow down. 
uh, rightfully so, because now, you know, the first concern becomes whether or not uh, things are secure and whether or not going to work is a safe proposition for, for people. Um, COVID-19 notwithstanding, right? I mean, there are still uh, some situations where staff really need to go in, especially for folks who work on the floor um, and, uh, and work for, for leadership. Um, you know, uh, dealing with the pandemic is one thing, but then also dealing with uh, potentially violent uh, uh, rioters is, is another. So there was a real safety concern that is kind of separate and, and a whole different discussion from, you know, the, the events that led to it. Uh, and so it has led to a, a pretty significant delay uh, at a time when usually things are really humming for, um, in terms of uh, getting back up and running. It's a new Congress. Um, the Senate has new leadership. Uh, and there's a lot of things that, that need to happen in quick su succession. So um, you, you might see kind of a, a, a lasting, uh, you know, set of, set of complications that arise from what happened on January 6th, you know, where uh, people that are kind of on the extreme edges of their different parties um, are either not going to be, folks are not going to want to work with them. Uh, I, I think for the most part, you know, you will see uh, a continued need for bipartisan activity mm -hmm. and that that need is going to overcome questions about whether or not I should be seen working with this with this person that's in the other party uh, but there there's gonna be some lasting uh, there's gonna be some lasting issues with with certain members in particular so um, I'll, I'll say that and uh, but for a lot of staff that I've talked to in the last couple of weeks in particular they they want to get back to work and they they can't wait to um, they're, they're they're still pretty tired out from all of the work they did on the last stimulus bill that was signed into law in, in December mm -hmm. uh, but they know that there's remains uh, a number of items that Congress uh, probably needs to get done in response to the pandemic. So um, a lot of them are kind of chopping at the bit to, to get back to it. Absolutely. Um, so one of the one of the things that this new Congress is going to be focused on uh, is cabinet appointments for the new administration. Um, last month when we talked with Chelsea about this, we discussed the nomination process a little bit. You know, the Senate does the hearings. Most, if not all, slots are filled within the first hundred days or so by May or June at the latest. Um, but we knew the new Biden administration is experiencing a bit more of a delay um, due to questions about the validity of the election and then the insurrection. Now the second impeachment trial in the Senate of the former president. Where are we now in this process of cabinet appointments and what can we expect moving forward? Yeah, it's uh, that's a great point. I think that's on a lot of people's minds right now. You know, how quickly can can these uh, appointments be confirmed? Um, so the first thing to mention is that we we did have another election um, that concluded in early January. It was the Georgia runoff. So it was uh, the election on Election Day in November. Uh, the results were too close uh, under Georgia law to to call one way or the other. So they had an, a runoff election um, and Democratic candidates won both of those elections. And so that means that there is a split in the Senate of 50 to 50. And with the new administration being Democrat, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is the tie breaking vote. And that gives Dems the edge and that gives them the majority. Um, and it changes the uh 
it, it changes how the Senate is run in general. Um, you know, the, the chair, the chairman or chairwoman of a, of a committee or subcommittee, for example, all going to be Democratic uh, as opposed to Republicans, which they were last last Congress. So that that is a major change. Um, it's a slim majority. It's a it's a one vote majority. Uh, but being able to, um, as you know, Majority Leader Schumer being able to set the agenda um, makes the work of the Senate uh, quite different. Um, of the 23 top level cabinet members, there are only there are four who have who have been confirmed so far. And here we're at January 26th. And that's Avril Haines, uh, who's director of national intelligence. Uh, General Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, Janet Yellen, Secretary of Tre Treasury, and then just a couple hours ago, Anthony Blinken was uh, confirmed as Secretary of State. So you've got four so far, um, and you've got to fill out the rest of those, uh, and then start filling out the uh, the appointments that are subject to, com to Senate confirmation um, that fall below the the Secretary level. And so there's uh, a much larger number of those, of course, and, and uh, it will take some time to do that. And um, Caitlin, you're right that, you know, as they are uh, holding the impeachment trial, uh, I think they're doing impeachment trial activity in the morning and then trying to do other business like nominee, uh, nominee confirmations uh, later in the day. Um, and then any and all of the legislative activity that need to get done. Uh, but but back to the back to the appointments, you know, we've we've seen a delay of one of the appointments from uh, Senator Josh Hawley, always, always uh, going, doing the Lone Ranger thing uh, there in the Senate. Uh, yeah, and so you know, um, he's he sort of blocked the fast track nomination for the Department of Homeland Security nominee Alejandro uh, Mayorkas, and so we'll see where that goes. But um, you know, chances are that uh, doesn't hold up the process by by all that much. Um, could be resolved in a bunch of different ways. Uh, you know, typically there is a, a pretty smooth process with this nomination and confirming, uh, especially when you have a Democratic majority and Democratic uh, administration. So the Senate is the same party as the administration. Um, so it, you know, my expectation is that for the most part, especially as, as we've seen Janet Yellen and uh, Anthony Blinken and, and General Austin being con being confirmed, um, probably on a smoother path with with most of the nominees, uh, barring some uh, some controversial con controversial nominee. So on the Hill, we're dealing with the nomination process and the impeachment trial. What about the legislative priorities of the new Congress with Dem control of both sides of Congress as well as the presidency? There have to be some bills uh, those new members in the Biden administration want to get through as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think the first thing out of the gate uh, is going to be addressing the pandemic, addressing COVID-19. Um, the Biden administration has rolled out a $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief plan. Uh, and there are a ton of items that this plan includes, like vaccine distribution. It directs a $1,400 payment to those who are eligible, a direct payment. Uh, and then there are some things that are more small business specific and our member companies might be interested. And, and so the proposed bill uh, would include $15 billion in grants to help the hardest hit businesses. And this is on top of the $5 billion, $5 billion in payment uh, paycheck protection program funding that was released last week by the Small Business Administration. 
$35 billion for small business financing programs. And this looks like investment in some state, local, tribal, and nonprofit financing programs so that they can make uh, uh, low, interest, low interest loans and provide venture capital to entrepreneurs. And then the bill also includes more funding for the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which provides benefits to self-employed independent contractors, gig workers, and others affected by the pandemic. So um, it is aside from that, that um, uh, the main unemployment insurance program, which is for employees of, of, of companies. Um, what, you know, uh, what would be great because they're covering a lot of bases with this, with this proposal. Um, one of the things that we are discussing with, um, appropriations committee staff and with, with other staff is, um, a priority that you've heard me talk about on, on the podcast and others talk about on the podcast, which is, uh, making, uh, wearable devices and other digital health tools like like apps and, and software platforms more affordable uh, for for folks by including them in the definition of medical care for the purposes of, of flex spending and health savings accounts. So those are those are accounts that you set aside pre-tax uh, and that you can currently use on things like an EKG monitor um, or, or a, a glucose monitor, but you can't spend those dollars on uh, a device that has an EKG monitor, but also, uh, uh, for example, takes uh, blood oximetry readings, temperature readings, and things like that, that um, are, are becoming more the norm. And so this is something that the IRS does a determination on every year. Um, but you know, one of the things we're, we're looking to have included in the overall package is um, joint explanatory statement language that clarifies that uh, these devices and and software programs uh, are included in that definition. Uh, so it's a clarification that we would be looking for. And um, one of the things that, that sort of has emerged during the pandemic is the importance of wearables and software tools to track uh, symptoms, um, both to determine, both to get a better sense of how people are recovering from COVID-19. There's a study that the, that Fitbit did showing uh, uh, people's vital signs throughout the, um, uh, throughout the course of, of uh, having COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they sort of broke it down by demographics. So you can see like, uh, you know, what kinds of symptoms um, certain demographics are experiencing uh, more so than, than other demographics. And then, um, there is also, uh, a study done with the aura, aura ring, which is, uh, a connected ring that, that detects, um, uh, body temperature, blood oximetry, um, movement and a few other things. And that study shows that the aura ring was able to, uh, with something like 80 or 90% accuracy determine about three days in advance, the onset of COVID-19. Wow. And it was it was it's really interesting findings um it's a small sample that they used but but i think at the end of the study they said this calls for further study uh because the the results are really interesting and and very impactful and it, and, and it also led like the nba and and um uh and other employers uh and other groups uh including first responders uh to start using the aura ring to detect early onset of COVID-19 so they could tell um, uh, either players or uh, people on the front lines of the pandemic to um, 
to stay home uh, because they they're they are likely going to develop uh, COVID-19 before before symptoms are noticeable to people. And the way they do it is from mostly it's um, uh, heart rate variability against temperature variability. And they're able to, you know, the algorithm they're using is still being perfected, but um, apparently it is pretty accurate already. Which um, points out sort of the need for things that do more than one thing, so to ex- speak. Exactly. You're, yeah. you're collecting a, a few different parameters and it's feeding uh, the, the machine learning algorithm that can then tell you actually useful information like you're developing symptoms that you, you probably aren't noticing yet for um, a specific a specific illness. So this is a, a member connection. And I don't <laughs> mean to compare COVID-19 patients to cattle. Um, Cause I'm not, but we have a member company <laughs> yeah. who has what they call Fitbit for cows um, that detects temperature and other metrics to avoid illness in, in their cattle. And I think it's really funny and interesting that we're able to use similar technology to combat something for humans that could save, you know, thousands of lives. That's yeah, that's a great connection. And, and one of the things that quantified ag has told us is that, um, cattle are really good at hiding their symptoms from uh, ranchers, and so they they were looking for some way to be able to tell other than um, just what they saw outwardly. And I think uh, for for humans, it just takes us a little a little bit of time before we actually notice symptoms that could be detected, you know, before uh, beforehand. And knowing early is a huge advantage when it comes to uh, when it comes to COVID nineteen, like a an infectious disease so absolutely um, so is our hope that we can get language this this basically mm-hmm. like definitional uh clarification in yeah. the next sort of spending bill is that the that's the that's the hope and and it could happen in a couple of different ways i um the thing i mentioned at the beginning was was a part of the joint explanatory statement which is the um, you know, with a with a big bill like this, with a big spending bill, you have a joint explanatory statement that says uh, that kind of describes Congr- Congress's intent and, um, and clarifies some of the provisions of the bill. And it's really similar to when a non-spending bill is passed. And they have um, they have a conference report or they have a committee report mm-hmm. that does the same thing, tries to describe you know, in more detail, because if you just read a bill, it's kind of nonsense right? Uh, in a lot of cases. And so having the committee <laughs> report helps kind of put it in plain language. And the same thing is true for a big spending bill, joint explanatory statement um, helps helps describe what, what Congress means uh, to have happen both in the bill and with respect to provisions that are already law. And that's what we would maybe hope to do here. Um, you know, bonus points, if we can get uh, legislative language in there that would, that would just simply clarify um, that would simply clarify the definition in statute, but, um, that carries with it a, a cost that, uh, um, that, uh, folks have found difficult to sort of, uh, uh, deal with. Um, if it's a, if it's like a, if it's a stimulus bill, you don't have to necessarily have pay go. You don't have to have everything in the bill pay for itself like you do with usual legislation, but, but still people, people are still, you know, rightfully, you know, try to be careful with taxpayer dollars anyways 
Absolutely. And I, I don't think we can talk about uh, sort of COVID relief without sort of mentioning also broadband. I think that's a really important piece um, that we've talked about a lot. So just if there are any updates there. Yeah, that's right. Um, so with the with the last COVID-19 uh, stimulus bill that was just a, just enacted last month, um, there was a lot of support for for broadband. Um, I think bipartisanly. Uh, folks in the Senate and the House really recognized that we need more federal resources for broadband uh, because so many people still lack access and the pandemic has really shined a bright light on the disadvantage um, of not having access to, to broadband service. So there was $7 billion included in, in that bill and $3.2 billion of it was um, toward you know something that we advocated for during during virtual AppCon, um, which was fifty dollar subsidy for um, for qualifying broadband subscribers during the pandemic. Um, you know, on top of current FCC programs, and that's a that's you know fifty dollars may not cover everything. It doesn't cover the whole. If you have both internet and TV, it's, it's you know hundred dollars something like that. But it's um it is a meaningful uh, and helpful. A subsidy at a time when when people are uh, struggling more than usual to get by, um, so that was a, that was an important thing. And then there was also a couple of hundred million dollars for the um, COVID nineteen specific uh, FCC telehealth program, um, which was a I mean that was a, a a great program in its first wave. A number of our connected health initiative uh, steering committee members um, were able to uh, successfully apply for funds in that program. What we really liked about that is that the funds pay for not just your subscription to the broadband service, but also for uh, like software tools that, that you're trying to provide to patients, uh, it, you know, to, to remotely monitor them um, and to, and to engage in telehealth uh, visits with them. So that was a, that was a great thing as well. And then there was, there's also um uh, a, a um, pretty substantial chunk of money went to NTIA for um, uh, broadband connectivity around uh, HBCUs. Right. Uh, and, and that's a really a great program to ensure that uh, folks that are sort of in socioeconomically disadvantaged communities and that um, suffer from underinvestment uh, at least have this uh, um, uh, this support program from NTIA uh, to help with those initial connections uh, and with subscribing. So, absolutely. So, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. Um, kind of all of the new things that are brewing here in DC are very um, COVID and COVID relief driven, um, and nearly all of the focus and talk right now is really on kind of three things. It's COVID-19 relief, it's cabinet nominations, and it's um, the impeachment trial. And so over the first 100 days or so of the new administration, it's likely that we're going to see more and more specific policy priorities roll out, but we can really expect more concrete ideas fairly soon um, in the upcoming sort of, quote, unofficial State of the Union speech. Uh, and I say unofficial here because while all the elements of the State of the Union will be in place, 
Um, this address isn't formally the State of the Union until after the first year uh, of the administration. So technically, this is just another joint session of Congress. But historically, we have seen presidents get into more specifics when it comes to policy priorities during this address. And we can look to President Biden on February 23rd to do the same. Um, Graham, thank you so much for joining us on Tech Swamp. Thanks for having me. Lots of stuff coming down the pike and look forward to being on next time. And now it is time for Random Identifier. Brad, you are up first. Okay, absolutely. As the, you know, the months of the year kind of changes, the seasons change, Mm -hmm. my music taste does too, uh, most of the time. Like I think a lot lot of folks listen to different music at different times of the year. Anyways. Except um, for simply having a wonderful Christmas time, which which is is an all year banger. I, I do not subscribe to that <laughs> thought. Um, <laughs> but anyways, you know, summer, I think traditionally for me, always brings me to Dave Matthews Band based on the shows always being the summer. But in the winter, I like something a little uh, even more calm. Um, and the band that I'm going with for today is Fleet Foxes, oh, yes. which is a pretty fabulous, I guess, indie folk band is how you could almost describe them uh very chill lots of harmonies mandolin acoustic banjo all sorts of acoustic instruments um very nice yeah i'm a fan what's of your fave Boston. what are you currently listening to of theirs um so i think so their their first ep that they put out with their first album is only five songs but it has mykonos which i think is like yes one of the best songs ever it is so relaxing to listen to um so that one that's good i think mykonos is on my summer playlist but every other song that they have is either on my fall or winter so i'm totally with you on that yeah okay it's the we're talking about their is it's like their 2008 album right Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was 2008 because that's the year I graduated high school. Um, and uh, yeah, I listened to that so much my freshman year of college. So much. It was like on repeat. Anyway, great album. Great album. Heck yeah. Yeah, They. I just went because I still purchase just endless amounts of vinyl. That's like yeah. how I participate in capitalism most of the time. <laughs> and uh, they they had a fantastic deal to get their first album and the EP in one package. Whoa. So um, that's on the turntable uh, right now. Like How that. the turntables. How the turntables. <laughs> um, uh, Caitlin, what about you? What do you have for us? Mine is also about my internalized consumerism slash how I participate (laughs) in capitalism, which um, I'm going to be talking about one of my most recent impulse purchases and how I have managed to embarrass myself on walmart.com. I think I know what we're going to talk about. (sighs) Unfortunately, (laughs) I do think you know. Um, So a couple weeks ago, I was watching the news and I made an impulse purchase um, because I was angry. Um... I bought a punching bag um, (laughs) just to, you know, hang out with and use when I when I feel like I need to. And um, it's been really fun. It's been really great. I was really excited to get it. Um, So I was on Walmart.com looking at the reviews to see like how easy the setup was or whatever. Um, 
And this was after I had purchased it. And so after you purchase something, I guess from Walmart, this is the standard. I don't know because I haven't purchased something from Walmart in a while. But the standard is they send you an email or they, like, prompt you to go to a page that's like, what inspired you to make this purchase? And I, it, this was not, like, a review. Like, this wasn't, like, write a review. It was, like, what inspired you to make this purchase? So right. I think this is just going into some, like, metadata little bank they have for me, and I'll get some more promoted ads that are relevant <laughs> because of this. So I <laughs> I was just being stupid also. Um, so I just wrote, I am angry. Um, and then I didn't press submit. Like I did not submit the page. I know I did not submit the page, but somehow the page was submitted. So as I was scrolling down to read the reviews of this punching bag, I see right above the reviews is customer comments. And I just see, I am angry. (laughs) (laughs) And I died a thousand deaths. (laughs) I, um, I really appreciate that. Like I didn't think they were going to do that to me. I, like, did not think they were going to publish that. Like, I, I swear to God, I did not press submit. Like, I know that I did it because I knew that it was psychotic that I wrote that. Like, oh, I just don't know. I don't know why I did that. I like the honesty. I feel like that's important. Like, if I'm going to make a purchase in, you know, and, and what I'm looking for is something that's going to help me deal with an, an emotion that I have, especially <laughs> one like anger, I feel like I want to know that there are other people out there who have both the same emotion and also are looking for a way to like deal with it. I think it's very helpful. I think you're going to be surprised. It's going to be like an uprated like answer. (laughs) I might like report my own comment and I'm going to link in the show notes to the exact one I have. So everyone can go and see I am angry. Oh gosh. I was going to say too late. Pardon the keyboard clicks. I'm uh, (laughs) I'm reporting you at this very moment. Yeah, you can report the comment. I thought about reporting myself because it was so deranged. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, mine is a little different. Um, Although I would say that I also, so I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that my like background is in art history. Like that's what I got a degree in. Um, (laughs) And so I still like to look at a lot of art and read a lot about art. And um, for Christmas, my roommate gave me a book that um, is, it's written by the person who does the Art Curious podcast, um, whose name is Jennifer Dassel. And um, (laughs) this is a book um, that is called Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History. Um, And it's really great. It just kind of like goes through some of the like fun, weird, quirky things in art, which is kind of like my favorite part about art. Um, Like as an example, um, there's like this whole like theory that Van Gogh was murdered by a kid. who just like didn't like him um yeah or there's like um (laughs) there's a um there's a book um no that's a lie it's i'm looking at the book which is why i said book but the the actual thing is a painting um by uh hieronymus bosch um and it's called the garden of earthly delights and um it's a very strange painting um i recommend that people go look at it maybe that'll be um what I linked to in the show notes. It's a very strange painting. Um, It kind of is sort of like the Garden of Eden, but also like has layers of hell in it uh, painted. Um, And the torture is very strange and there's a lot of musical instruments. And anyway, there is a uh, human bottom that has some sort of music tattoo, essentially. That's like a, it's like a clef and there are like notes on it. Um, And somebody like turned it into a song and it like, 
or they, I mean, they didn't turn it into a song. It is a song, and they just like transcribed it and then like mm-hmm. played it. Um, and it kind of went viral a few years ago. Um, what? Okay, now I have to. Yeah, because it's really random. So, um, but it's just like it's great stories like that, or like um, um, it talks about like these time capsules that Andy Warhol had um, that are basically just like boxes of junk. But like, there's a box that has like toenails and uh, an old birthday cake, um, and it's very strange. But it also kind of tells us a lot about like Andy Warhol's psyche, which I think is fascinating. Um, and he was definitely a hoarder, which is also interesting. Um, given that I think when we think of his art, we sort of think of it as like pristine. Um, and then my other favorite and the last one that I will, okay. Um, this one is that there is a British painter that like, there's a theory, um, and a book about it that, um, this guy was actually Jack the Ripper. Um, and that like he painted, uh, both himself as Jack the Ripper, but then also, uh, various murder scenes, uh, that only Jack the Ripper would have known the details for. Um, So that's kind of, yeah, that's like a fun art history thing. And then the last one is that um, a lot of people don't know that Mona Lisa, um, the very famous painting, was stolen uh, at one point. And there is uh, what I think is one of the most ridiculous but wonderful wild crazy theories that the one uh, that currently hangs in the Louvre is uh, a copy. It's not real. Um, Is it it because Nicolas Cage has has it? (laughs) Yep, it's, that's why. (laughs) hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like a really great book. And if anybody is ever like sort of, Hey, maybe I want to read a little bit more about art or like get excited about art. Um, it's a great way to do that. Cause it's a little bit weird, but it's also a lot fun. Like it art. sounds like it. Yeah. We'll be adding it to the queue. My little book queue of 2021. I love that. I love that for you. I think you'll like it. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it for tech swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who's composed the podcast's awesome music. Thanks, Brad. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate and review. Five stars only, please. (laughs) That's all for today, folks. Everyone, say bye. Bye.